Welcome. This is the Tigers in the Archives podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing to life the culture and history of Clemson University with the help of our partners, including scholars, students, alumni, and the wider Clemson community. We explore fascinating, sometimes unusual, and even downright strange archival materials. I am Tara Wood, the Instruction and Outreach Archivist for Clemson University's Special Collections and Archives. In addition, I have a PhD in history and love talking about Clemson history and the wide-ranging research collections that the archive holds. Here at Special Collections and Archives, we research, maintain, and help people better understand our collections of historical documents and artifacts. In this episode, I will introduce you to a few odd items you might not expect to find in an academic archive. I am joined today by Nancy Spittler, the managing editor of Clemson World Magazine. The magazine has played a vital role in informing, entertaining, and engaging Clemson alumni and friends of the university since the early 1970s. Nancy came to me with a proposal I couldn't pass up the chance to scour the archives to find the 10 oddest items in the archives to support her writing of an article for the magazine. That article, about those odd things, appears in the upcoming fall 2023 issue of the Clemson World Magazine. Welcome, Nancy. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came to Clemson? Thank you. Uh, I've worked in higher ed marketing and communications for a number of years at, at a number of different schools with a little bit of advertising copywriting thrown in there as well. But I've been at Clemson for about 12 years now and really, really enjoy uncovering and telling the stories of Clemson. That's great. I invited Nancy to join me today in this inaugural episode because I hope to highlight for our audience what makes the archives at Clemson special. As we go forward with additional episodes, we want to invite community members, students, scholars, and others to help us tell the stories found in the Clemson archives. The Clemson Special Collections and Archives are the institutional memory banks of the university. We serve the Clemson community, the state of South Carolina, and beyond. We welcome that community into the archives. Okay, Nancy, here's a question for you. What made you want to do this article? What was your inspiration? I had heard through the years about various and sundry things that were in special collections. I had heard things that ranged from the interesting to the bizarre. Everything from trustee papers to the wedding night pajamas of Strom Thurmond, which just boggles the imagination. Uh, but I had a feeling that, that there was just a treasure trove of stories here that we could uncover. And I felt like Special Collections is one of those places that is full of treasures but is relatively unseen and unfamiliar to the majority of the Clemson audience. Well, in fact, uh, you helped me come up with the items, choosing them from the catalog. Um, and the items vary widely that are in the article. Uh, Nancy, in this case, tells the stories of Clemson dining hall menu cards from the 1960s to the 1970s, uh, an Islamic sword, a student regulations pamphlet from Clemson 
a political coconut, a lock of John C. Calhoun's hair, a historic brick, fraudulent voting tickets, a rocket-propelled grenade launcher, a mess hall water pitcher, and a small cowbell. It really is an odd bunch of items, isn't it? Nancy, what items were your favorites in this collection of items that we put together? Which ones did you think was the strangest or most unexpected? I think probably the most unexpected was the Islamic sword. It's like a 15th, 16th century Islamic sword. And it's fairly massive. And, and it's not one of those things you expect to find in, in special collections of Clemson University. Uh, and I understand it came from uh, James Burns' collection, who was Secretary of State. The other thing I just thought was interesting in that there's nothing new under the sun is the uh, the election uh, listings of candidates where where the Republicans would, would list Republican candidates under the heading of Democratic candidates and, and vice versa and would give, it, give them to uh, illiterate people as they went in to vote to make sure they got the right people on the, on the uh, to make sure they got the right people voted for. Exactly. I thought that was pretty wild myself uh, in, in terms of just sort of election shenanigans that uh, both sides did this kind of thing. And we have the evidence to, sh to, to show that. And most of our uh, researchers either don't know about it. Uh, uh, sometimes we show them to students, but it's one of those things that you obviously don't expect to find in an archive. My favorite items uh, in this list uh, is uh, probably, well, the coconut. Uh, you know, I thought, goodness gracious, why do we have a coconut when I first was going through the archive and the catalog? And it turns out that it's part of the Strom Thurmond collection and it has a, uh, it's been painted and it's uh, an image of the Florida Keys and ostensibly the coral reef that is off the Florida Keys. And what makes it the political coconut is that there is this um, uh, written, I don't want to say poem, but a short amount of text that talks about how special and important the, the Florida Keys are and especially the coral reef, the only one in the Northern Hemisphere, and that oil leasing off of the Florida Keys would destroy the coral reef. And in fact, the person who sent this coconut to Strom Thurmond uh, was um, determined that Strom Thurmond would oppose all oil leasing off of the Florida Keys. And who knew, but the best part to me about this is that we have the label from the box and they they sent it to Senator Strom Thurmond, Washington, D.C. And that's it. And he got it. And now because we hold Strom Thurmond's papers, we have the coconut. Who knew a political coconut? So let's talk about a few more items in detail. Uh, we have, oh, the student regulations pamphlet. What did you think about that one? Oh, it was wonderful, part, in part because it, it hits a time when women started at Clemson that was just before so much changed societally. And it was, it was very clearly all done to protect the, the innocent women of Clemson from, from harm, from 
from men, <laughs> from, from society. Giving them a, yeah, a very long set of regulations. It's interesting because, of course, um, you know, this is one of those things you might not think of to go and use in your research when you want to find out about a time period in history and how a university such as Clemson viewed the women students, especially since this was just a few years less, well, just about 10 years after women were first allowed to enroll as undergraduates. And so obviously there was a lot of concern, especially with all the changes in history with the civil rights movement and eventually the war in Vietnam and all of the changes of women becoming more politically active, perhaps even entering the workforce. And so this is, this is wonderful to see how the university could thought they needed to deal with having women on campus in numbers for the first time. 17 of the pages, you know, apply to all students, but there's another six or seven entire pages of rules just for women. Uh, and that one is, you know, that they can't wear sports attire. And, you know, I think you saw, did you see the thing about the wearing their bedroom shoes? Yes, yes. Couldn't They couldn't wear their bedroom shoes out, even out in the, the lobby of the dorm. Exactly. Can't even wear that. And no cur curlers. That was one of the other ones. No curlers <laughs> out in the lobby in public areas where someone might see that. And, um, you know, sports attire, you know, that they, it was regulated what was, what constituted sports attire, which would probably shock a lot of our female students today, you know, that they could only wear Bermuda shorts, pedal pushers, and slacks. Those were their um, sports attire. And the thing that really, and, you know, says a lot about, um, you know, the culture on campus at that point, you know, about what was normal or accepted, that was changing a lot. But in the end, uh, the women were required to act as ladies, right? The Clemson, uh, Clemson women must always act like a lady, which is, you know, a difficult term necessarily to um quantify but apparently that was the number one rule that all women had to follow one of my favorites too was the the cowbell which i had never heard of before but apparently was was the female equivalent for the uh the freshman beanie right the, the rat, rat cap. cap yeah and all the rat rules so what did you think about that cowbell oh i just thought it was hilarious and apparently we we read that the purpose of it was that when a woman was approaching a group of men, they would hear this cowbell and they could clean up their language so she didn't hear inappropriate language. Yes, the boys might do a little bit of cursing and this way they, uh, they were warned in advance. And you know what's interesting about this item too is that we only received it very recently in just the last year or two. Someone, uh, a woman came up to uh, one of our archivists in at an event, at a reunion event, and said, I do have one of these, and we did not. And she explained the story, and you know, we of course were happy to receive it, especially since we do have numerous examples of the rat cap and the rules you know, that the freshmen had to wear, their little rat cap. That was a holdover from uh, when the school was still a military college. But the cowbell, we had never heard of, and we were trying to figure out why. And I suspect that maybe they weren't going to, uh, the women wouldn't 
happily wear that for for very much longer. So perhaps the first semester, maybe two, but I don't imagine a lot of women felt like they didn't wanted to wear a cowbell. I'm I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't imagine it today. So what did you think about when you looked through some of those dining hall menu cards? Oh, they were wonderful. Just to to look at one to look at recipes that had options for doing them for 50 or for 100, which it's amazing to think of cooking grits for a hundred or yes. two hundred, oh, but there were you know it was a very good look into the types of food they were they were having at that point and what sort of regional foods were being offered. Exactly, you know I think this is a great set of, you know, small little set of of primary sources historical documents that could tell you a lot about Southern foodways. Also, you know there's some hilarious recipes in there that just let you know that dorm food has kind of always been horrible. Um, I laugh because with a Southern grandma that I have, you know, seeing some of the recipes using Jell-O was just taking me back, not always pleasantly with the things that got put in the Jell-O. But there was also the recipe that said, get yourself three crook necks. (laughs) And I didn't know what that was. Did you know that straight away? I'll confess, I grew up with with a mother who grew up on a farm, so I, I immediately thought crookneck squash, but... There you go. Well, you know, and I didn't know, but until our university historian, Otis Pickett, walked in and he goes, oh, that's a squash. So, you know, it's interesting, though, because, of course, once I realized that, I knew which kind of squash it was. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the things that you can do with archival materials is to see those kind of local terms, um, the local recipes, and get a real sense of what life was like during those years. And, you know, I tell students, I said, you know, if your grandparents or something went to Clemson in the 60s and 70s, I can probably tell you what they were eating. And uh, so that's a that's one of those things that makes, you know, an archive so much fun to wander around in or in the case of a researcher to, you know, get some things pulled so that they can look at something that's interesting and different. Some of the recipes from the early 1960s showed a sort of a a sort of an interest in, in food from, oh, there's Polynesian chicken and Arabian pork chops, which I thought was (laughs) really intriguing, all things considered with some of the, you know, dietary restrictions. But, um, you know, there's also then, of course, the the salads that were often made with um, jello or some kind of mayonnaise and and just things like that. that, Miracle Whip. Miracle Whip was a big, a big part of all of that. Along with the dining hall menu cards, we have another item that is always, I like it as a, as a piece of history that people will recognize, but you wouldn't necessarily think of as being an interesting historical document, if you will. And that's the stainless steel water pitcher that we have that a lot of our alumni will say, oh, my great-grandfather talked about that or something because it was a water pitcher that was used in the dining halls, in the mess hall during the years when it was still in military college. And it these water pitchers were on every single um, table. And those people sitting at each table had to take turns hauling this pitcher over to the fountain 
and filling it with water and then bringing it back. And I always think, I would not have wanted to do that. No, and they were not small pitchers. I mean, these were sizable pitchers, which this would be your weightlifting program for the week to carry these, <laughs> these sure pitchers would. back and forth over to the table. Well, and, and you know, you think, okay, so it's just a water pitcher. And often I show these pictures to students and they think they made you do that well yes because a lot of the machines and whatnot the students today are used to you can go over to the water machine you can go over to you know this the, the soda machine and all that but a water pitcher would have been it that and from based on the menu cards they would make you know sweet tea and a few other things maybe some lemonade but that was it for the choices. Mm -hmm. So yes, they're not going to go, somebody's not going to come around and fill those water pitchers for you so the students would have to do it. And that's another thing that is a great piece of, you know, art, an artifact that is great for thinking about what life was like for a student at Clemson and uh, makes it a little bit more, you know, pertinent to you and your life and makes it more, um, you can see that your great-grandparents or your great-grandfather, more likely, uh, was just a regular student at Clemson, just like, you know, perhaps students are today. Well, and it's really easy for you to get a picture of that in your mind, of someone getting up from the table and walking over and coming back. Yes, exactly. We so, can go on forever. I know that. So we um, probably should wrap up a little bit. I have loved this conversation. I hope you have, too. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this has been a blast. It's been delightful. I encourage all of our listeners to read the article in the fall 2023 issue of Clemson World Magazine so that you can, you can see all the items that we just talked about. Uh, remember, we welcome the Clemson community and the public into the archives during our business hours from 9 a.m. to noon and 1 to 4.30. We do close for lunch. You may also email the archives at archives at clemson.edu. That's archives at clemson.edu. It is useful to let us know in advance if you are coming in so that we may help by being ready for you with the items that you want to see. Um, we can also help give you ideas about things that might help you with your research. Please also see our catalog and information page at libraries.clemson.edu backslash special collections. Nancy, thank you so much. I really had fun. Thank you.